following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Lord, we are grateful this morning that we have the opportunity to come to gather and think about the things of Scripture, uh, the things related to, in this session, current events going on around us. And I pray that you'll guide our thoughts and help us to be godly in our approach and our uh, belief about the matters at which we will look this morning. We're also thankful, Lord, to hear a report of a man who has received the love of the truth and the knowledge of Christ and embraced the gospel, even in old age. We pray, Lord, that you will comfort this uh, man as he seems to be uh, declining into the very waning hours, days perhaps of his life, and we thank you for him finally understanding and receiving the gospel. Also, Lord, we pray for, uh, for Jeremy and the concern that is there with his family uh, and the, the shelter, with the move from an old house to a new house for them, and we ask that you'd provide uh, everything uh, for them, that they would get uh, an offer and that their offer would not have to be expired and all of that sort of thing so that they can move and uh, enjoy their new, their new place. Lord, if there are other requests this morning on our hearts, we bring them before you. You know them all together before we could even voice them anyway. You have worked them all into your sovereign plan. You are working all things according to the counsel of your will. In fact, the scripture tells us, and we firmly believe that for those that love God and are called according to your purpose, you work all things together for good. And so we thank you for that promise, even when things don't seem so good at the moment. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, welcome this morning. Um, I wasn't actually 100% sure that I was going to be teaching this morning because I thought Brother James would be back in town, but Evidently, that's uh, not the case or something, so we'll wait to see uh, what might eventuate about his uh, time back here. Uh, he's been caring for his dad, so uh, that's, that's in uh, Virginia, and uh, they're, the siblings are taking like three-week rotations, so uh, on three weeks, off for three or six, and then on for three, and uh, that's how it's having to go for them, so that's... He just pulled in. Okay, very well. Um, <clears throat> this is part three of our series on critical race theory this morning. I did parts one and two. Um, I motivated the first uh, part by saying that I had received questions about this topic uh, online, and obviously it's something that you all are very familiar with if you're watching the news at all, which you probably are. Um, but the question was basically, is FBC a woke church? Do we espouse critical race theory? So uh, the series is intended to answer that question for not only the person who inquired, who I think has been watching online, uh, but also some others as well. So the first session, really the point of that first session was to make a strong contrast between critical race theory and the biblical gospel. And I went uh, over a number of uh, distinctions uh, between the two uh, teachings, biblical teaching on the one hand, critical race theory on the other, and was 
showing you how uh, really there's nothing too much in common with the biblical gospel whatsoever. Uh, there are some areas or common points or common ground, you could say, between them, some overlap in the sense that CRT is considered is concerned with uh, what we would simply call the sin of partiality or the sin of racism and, and one um, you know, expression of partiality, one specific expression, and the effects that that has on people. But it's far beyond that. And I'll make some comments more uh, to that point uh, later this morning. I also made some uh, comments on some what I believed were some clear uh, points uh, regarding uh, biblical teaching as well as uh, some of the factual matters regarding uh, critical race theory and how it apl- uh, approaches, uh, how we approach it as Christians. And then we began in the second uh, session, where really our burden there was to define terms and to speak about some various uh, thoughts that are uh, swirling around out there. And I'll just start with a, a review of the actual definition of critical race theory that we had last time in session number two, this being part three of three so far, and I don't know how many parts there will be, um, but we'll just uh, flow, r- run with the flow here. Uh, I, I selected this definition from a paper by Nicholas Hartlep, Critical Race Theory and Examination of Its Past, Present, and Future Implications, and he said there are five major components or tenets of CRT. One, the notion that racism is ordinary and not aberrational. In fact, they would say it's practically universal amongst um, certain peoples, uh, whites in particular. Secondly, the ideas of an interest convergence, and we defined what that was. That was that if, you know, if, uh, if doing uh, civil rights legislation uh, converges with my interests as a white person, then I'll do it. And if it doesn't, then I won't. That's the idea. I think that's a largely false idea, but that's part of the the system. Number three, the social construction of race. Number four, the idea of storytelling and counter-storytelling. So you'll see this like in the recent report that came out from a committee that was saying that the uh, National Archive Rotunda is a racist structure. It's a racist structure because it mythologizes the... um, founders of the United States and makes them, kind of idolizes them, if you will, all the white men that were there. And so it becomes, uh, in their view, problematic. Number five, the notion that whites have actually been recipients of civil rights legislation, that would be kind of connected with the interest convergence idea. Um, You might be able to boil it down in kind of a common um, expression of CRT is that all whites are racist, period. That's kind of a very, maybe oversimplified, but still, uh, you know, what is, you know, we're talking about actually two levels here. We're talking about CRT and its academic expression, but then you have to consider the expression on the street, you know, how people actually think about CRT. And uh, so that's the basic definition of it. We have some other um, terms that we really need to to get our heads wrapped around. in which I have probably 15 more of them, but I'm not going to, uh, you know, help uh, cause you to slog through the dictionary with me just yet. We'll do that uh, by and by as we go. Um, I did have some uh, commentary come back to me about my last two messages, and I wanted to uh, address some of those questions and comments that uh, I received. 
Part of the issue is that it seems almost unbelievable to certain people in the Christian community that I would say that CRT is opposed to the gospel because many Christian churches and organizations, parachurch organizations, are embracing it. They're embracing it almost uncritically in a sense. Um, uh, The Southern Baptist Convention was uh, debating it uh, recently. Um, I think a lot of people, as I said before, simply don't understand it. I mean, I can't say that I fully have my head wrapped around the whole idea. It's a huge idea, and uh, it's been developing in academia for several decades, and uh, that literature is not familiar to most people, certainly not familiar to me. If I was going to pick academic papers to read, they'd be in you know, microprocessor architecture or something like that, you know, something interesting to me from my background. <laughs> in fact, I was, I was thinking about this last night, and not, I mean, this kind of exposes my mindset about this. In some sense, I feel like this can become a waste of time for us to go over this material, you know, in, in great length. Um, as you, as you know, my, my wheelhouse is expositional preaching of the Bible, and this topic is touched on in the scriptures, and uh, the scriptures guide us in all things that we need for life and godliness. But at some point, it becomes, it becomes profitless to continue to go over and over the, this material. Um, we do want to know the times, but uh, that, that pointlessness feeling that I get is like, you know, I'd rather not, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather preach on, you know, the doctrine of the kingdom of God or, you know, some theology uh, proper or, or uh, the doctrine of ecclesiology or something like that. But I feel that there's some level of necessity to this. So uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you, in your job you have parts of your job you like and parts you don't like. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, uh, parts that are necessary. Um, now, somebody suggested this, and this is kind of a, a thought that may be out there, that CRT is simply history. It's simply history. Uh, I, I, I deny that assertion um, because CRT, I, t- I s- explain, is not merely an explanation of the past nor of the present. It is not history. Um, now, uh, let me qualify that. History, as you know, a big part of history is what? When you take a history class in college, they're not just telling you facts. What are they doing? They're giving you an interpretation of those facts, right? So the Civil War, there are certain facts about the Civil War, but they're not concerned so much about, in college-level courses, maybe high school now as well, they're not so much concerned about teaching you the dates and the battles and the movement of troops and you know, the political things that were going on around that. They're really more interested in explaining why did it happen? What are the, you know, was it, was it, was it really about slavery? Or as in the U.S. history class that I took in college uh, 25 years ago, or more maybe now, nearly 30, the explanation that was current then was that it was all economic. It was not really about slavery. Uh, others will say, well, it was really about federalism. And so there's competing schools of thinking about what was going on there. So history is interpretation. CRT itself is part explanation, that is interpretation of the state of affairs in the world, some accurate and some not, and part 
here's the, here's the real important thing from my perspective. It's, it's not only explanation or interpretation. It's part proposed solution based on non-Christian principles. We can see that clearly in the quotations of uh, Ibrahim Kendi that I referred to last time and why I selected him. Our boys, uh, at least one of them, had to read one of his books in their, I think in their English or social studies class in school. I'm sure that book is assigned throughout the United States for reading, and it was full of factual errors. I mean, I read the introduction. I couldn't bring myself to read the rest of the book because it was a waste of time. But, um, you know, when it, when it said, like, the seeds of racism were sown in in the 1500s in a book, I'm like, I can think of an example of racism that occurred 2,000 years ago with the Samaritans that Jesus broke through when he spoke to the woman at Samaria. And uh, that, was, that was just one example. This stuff has been going on for millennia. And so they're just factual errors in, in it. Now, of course, somebody say, well, that was, it was the origin of black racism or racism of whites against blacks. I... <laughs> That's almost impossible to believe. Um, but the quotations that I referred to last time advocate future discrimination to solve present discrimination. That was a quote. Okay, you can go back and look at that or hear that in the, in the uh, YouTube recordings uh, on it. Christians cannot support that kind of solution because it is unjust. We cannot uh, support discrimination in the future to fix past discrimination. Where a crime has occurred... It should be punished, okay, um, if a crime has occurred. Uh, and it should be punished upon those who did the crime. Look at Ezekiel, if you would. Just fix this in your mind. You must, I, I keep going back to this in this whole notion of justice. And uh, justice is, is become something that's done to classes today and not to individuals. Are you with me? So if... If uh, a class of people did something, then we punish the class. Uh, but it was, if it was, you know, if it's, in other words, let me say it this way. If there's individuals in that class that did something, then we punish the whole class and we get our pound of flesh out of them. Look at Ezekiel 18.4. Um, it says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Okay. Same in verse number 20. Um, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear guilt of the father, nor the father bear guilt of the son. So this undercuts the whole idea of, 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 of class-based justice right away. It's individual. It has to be individually based. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So Christian theology uh, prohibits us from widening out justice to just pour it up out punishment upon classes or to see things in terms of class warfare. So crime, if it's occurred, should be punished upon those who did the crime and restitution should be made to those directly impacted by the crime where no punishment can be extracted from the offenders nor restitution made to the direct victims. The past has to be forgotten in just principles principles of justice implemented going forward because we live in an imperfect and unfair world. We can't change that fact. You know, if you don't have, a, um, if you don't have a, an understanding of Christian theology in which, let's say that you're frustrated about somebody who committed a crime, say like slaveholding back you know, several generations ago, 
you get frustrated about that and you want to take it out on somebody who is alive today to get your pound of flesh out of them or to get your reparations, for example, out of them. The problem with not having a Christian theology is you don't know where to go with that guilt. It's just like hanging out there and it's never resolved. But in Christian theology, we know where that guilt ends up, don't we? For that person who did sin back then, what has happened to their guilt? They've been faced up with that guilt at, at their judgment, or will be at the judgment, great white throne judgment, and they will pay the penalty for that sin, right? You don't have to pay the penalty for this person who died generations ago. They've paid their own penalty. They will forever. But if you don't have Christian theology and you're just an evolutionist, where did that guilt go? Did it have any place to go? Or just been forgotten? You see, you think you would, you would hear what I'm saying and say, well, you just got to forget it. Well, we didn't forget it. God didn't forget it, right? Does that make sense? Drew, am I making sense to you? Okay, I'm just trying to make sure I'm tracking here. You're tracking with me. So that, that guilt has been and will be addressed justly by God. Doesn't mean that it will be in this life. All right, last time I made the claim that CRT is diametrically opposed to Christianity, I still stand by that statement, and I can do so confidently because of CRT's Marxist-Communist roots and its likeness to, and this is my point last time, liberation theology. It's just a new version of liberation theology. Both of these systems of thought, Marxism and liberation theology, offer a solution to the world's problems, and that solution is not a Christian solution. Marxism, for example, at its core, is atheistic. Okay? I saw somebody trying to say, well, I believe in God, and God would have us to be communal and kind of have a Marxist system of, of governance. And a, a person who is a member of a prominent atheist organization writes back to that person and says, no, that's not what we believe. They, we are atheists. Marxists are atheists uh, and hate Christianity. The only evidence you need of that approach to government is to look at two examples, China and the United uh, Soviet Socialist Republic. Is that what it was called? USSR? <laughs> Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, that's right, yeah. USSR. It's kind of uh, anachronistic now, but that was the big deal when I was in school. The Cold War was still going on, right? So little different now, but those are prime examples. You talk to some of our Christian brothers and sisters that came out of that place. Talk to Sergei and Luda, for example, who are here in our assembly. They'll tell you some horror stories. Uh, you know, I won't even mention them, but talk about not being able to even access a Bible in that place. You can also look at the writings of, these, of, of those who hold to these Marxist and communist views. They're clearly against God. And so my understanding is that anything that comes out of that poisoned root has to be suspect immediately. Okay? You cannot take a poisoned root like that and massage it into something that's Christian. And so my deep concern is that Christian organizations are taking this thing which has come out of a poisoned root and merging it together in kind of a syncretistic fashion and making... Uh, an emphasis on the in the gospel and the work of the church that is simply not there. What it really does is it kind of, this CRT fits nicely with the social gospel theology that has been current in many 
quote-unquote Christian churches for a long time, liberation theology tied in with that. So it kind of just, it all kind of comes together, and from that mindset, it kind of makes sense. But if you come from our mindset, which is a great commission-centered mindset, it doesn't make sense. Uh, a mindset that looks at things like in Ezekiel 18 and says, hey, it's, uh, it's, it's individual-based justice, that principle. Um, so why are Christian organizations uh, embracing CRT? Well, so I think of several possibilities or a combination of them. First, maybe they see it as compatible with Christian theology. You know, if they've already bought into liberation theology or social gospel, it's almost directly compatible with their view, but, but those views are wrong, biblically wrong. Uh, perhaps they see the doctrine of Christian love or other governmental teachings in the Old Testament uh, and say, well, look, I mean, we're supposed to love everybody, and CRT is loving everybody, isn't it? Kind of generically. Or they see embracing CRT as an expedient to reach the culture. Everybody's talking about it, so we're going to talk about it. We've got to embrace it. You know, if, if you say, if somebody writes an email to the church and says, are you a woke church? Well, I mean, I should say yes, because that's what I'm supposed to say, right? I mean, everybody likes being woke, and... Uh, so my answer to the person who wrote this inquiry in was, no, we are not a woke church. So I'm not trying to be contrarian. I'm trying to be uh, in agreement with God's truth. Okay? Um, or perhaps some are afraid, some Christians are afraid to speak against the culture. In other words, they fear man. And that disease is a very common disease these days, as it has been for a long time. Now, it seems as if advocates believe that uh, CRT is the only explanation or solution to the situation today. They almost hold it with a religious fervor. Like, if you don't believe this, you are a real rotten person. You know, you are an unbelieving, wicked sinner. Remember my contrast with the gospel. You know, racism is the original sin, and not being woke. Uh, being woke is basically being saved, being uh, regenerated, kind of awakened to the situation. Um, but CRT is not the only explanation and solution to the situation today. As I indicated last time, there are other explanations. Primarily, and the one you're probably most um, familiar with, is the explanation that comes from the conservative political viewpoint. Okay, Turn on conservative talk radio or look at conservative blogs. You'll get your fill of this kind of solution to the issues and, and opposition to CRT. But another one is from the Christian viewpoint. Another explanation and solution of what we're experiencing is from the Christian viewpoint. I'm not saying that none of these, over, they don't, I'm saying they can overlap, but they are distinct. So if I were to say, you know, the point of my first message was CRT is diametrically opposed to the gospel. The second message was let's become familiar with some of the terminology. Uh, my third message here, my point is to say that Christian theology offers an explanation and solution to the problems that CRT is talking about that is not a conservative political solution. It's not a CRT solution. It's a third thing. Remember what I said last time? You have people on the right, people on the left, and they're battling it out. And then we're standing back here as a, as a minority minority, and we're saying, wait a minute, there's other issues at play here. You're not dealing with the sin of racism as it is not just against man, but against God. He's the creator of all these people groups that we're talking about. You're not understanding the biblical gospel and the real solution to 
this is the change of hearts inside of people to cause them to be regenerated and, and truly loving people, not just to change the governmental structures, because he changed the structures, guess what? It's like, it's like when somebody, somebody wants to get away from you know, a bad phase of their life and all the baggage that they have with them, and they move to a new place. Well, guess what they just did? You know, or, or it's like the, 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 the guy who says, look, I am sick and tired of all this temptation in the world. I'm going to go live in a monastery. Well, they just took one big problem with them when they walked in the doors of that monastery, and that's their sin nature. Okay, so you can change the structures all you want, but you're still going to have sinners in charge of the structures, and you're still going to have sinners operating underneath the structure. And I think the data is very clear on the political side that change the structures to become Marxists and communists, all you're going to do is redistribute poverty. You're not going to actually have the kind of prosperity that they wish to provide or think they will. Um, but anyway, the political uh, solution and the Christian solution are not identical, and we must be careful not to formulate our opinion only on logic and statistics and FBI data and all of that sort of thing. Okay, um, you know, fatherlessness studies, like I quoted some time ago, and all of that—they all have their place and they're all interesting. But our our authority is the Word of God. Okay? We have to go here. And if you're, if you're addressing CRT by going to Google, oops, you've made a mistake already. You have got to go to deal with CRT or liberation theology or Marxism, communism, or whatever. You've got to start here. Like start with Bible Works or some other software to help you search the Bible. You've got to go to the Scriptures Okay. political, experiential, logic, statistics, all that are insufficient. You're not going to argue anyone into believing the truth of God by showing them the statistics about crime and, and different things like that. Those have their place, as I'm saying. I'm not dismissing them entirely, but you have to have your mind focused on, on this. Now, you know, and, and like I say, these, things, these statistics can be helpful if they're truth, but incomplete information can cause us to make statements that are incorrect. You know, we, we kind of make absolutized statements that are, are, are terribly frustrating to those uh, on the other side of the problem. Okay? So let me just take a specific example. You're a black man, and you're parked in a parking lot in Ypsilanti uh, and looking at your phone for directions or something harmless. And the next thing you know, a police car pulls up and begins to question you about why you're there and what you're doing. And the next thing you know, two other police cars pull up. Why? I know the person this happened to. That person would be hard-pressed to believe this statement. There is no racism in policing today. They would be hard-pressed to believe that because I believe that statement is false. Now, does that mean every police officer is a racist? You answer me. Obviously not. Okay? But in that person's experience, okay, remember, we're stepping away from this for a second, and we're saying, you know, in political 
experiential reality, they have a big problem. You know, they hear somebody that's white say, the justice system is fine. Really? They say, that's completely false. That absolute of a statement is completely false, and it frustrates them to no end, and they think you don't get it, because you don't get it. You see, as Christians, we have to be able to express things that are really true. You can make statements like, you know, most police officers are not racist. Most police departments are not racist. That's probably true. All? I don't think you can say that. I think the evidence is against that. So we have to be, you're here you have the right and the left battling it out. And we're standing back here and saying, well, I see some points there, and I see some points there. But the real thing is you guys got to get saved. You've got to have your hearts changed. You've got to start loving one another instead of hating. You've got to start looking for solutions other than vengeance and, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, if you don't know any stories of somebody who's been pulled over DWB, you know what that means? Driving while black. I know somebody else who was accused of, uh, uh, cops were called on them, and, and they said, uh, this person's got a gun in their car. I saw it. So the police come, and they talk to this black fellow. He had no gun. It was just, uh, uh, it wasn't the police that were racist. It was some citizen that was, that wanted to cause trouble. And, you know, before you know it, that citizen who called the cops because the citizen was a racist, if two or three cop cars show up and the black guy gets a little bit worried and he doesn't know how to handle himself, he could end up dead and on the news, all because he didn't have a gun. And that's frustrating to me. So we have racism. We do have racism in our hearts. And you know what? Here's the bad news. Until people get saved, you're never going to get rid of it. It's always going to be part of the culture because it's a sin of partiality, and that sin is, um, is epidemic, pandemic. Okay, It's everywhere. That's one of the expressions of sin. We talked about that last time. Um, so let's see. Where am I at in my notes here? You may, so just be careful about making sweeping statements that seem entirely misinformed to the black listener who has had a different life experience. Um, But similarly, people who know of or have experienced racism in action must remember that their experience is anecdotal. And they must not also make sweeping statements based on that, right? You know, that happened to me. This white guy did this to me. You know, therefore, all whites are... I've heard this more commonly on another topic. Um, women who have become disenchanted with men or men who have become disenchanted with women because they had a bad marriage or a bad boyfriend or they had some abuse done upon them. All men are bad. I've just sworn off the whole you know, opposite sex thing. You know, it's terrible. Careful about those sweeping statements. You know, they're not really appropriate. Um, so let me see. Uh, just don't become jaded in your thinking in that, in that kind of case. You know, if, if you do, you figure, well, CRT must be true. It's history. It's actuality. But in reality, it paints only a partial picture 
of a part of society that has blown up large because of injustices that have been experienced. You know, if you experience an injustice, what do you do? You tell all your friends about it. You tell everybody about it, and it, it looks like, you know, it's a huge thing. But it's one thing among a billion interactions between people in society, uh, you know, in the, in the recent weeks and months. Um, I've talked about the criminal justice system. But see, experience is a slippery thing. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things you can experience, bad things, good things, mistakes, biases, uh, and so on. We must ultimately formulate our understanding based on Scripture, not politics, logic, statistics, experience. Um, politics today is an experience are driving the conversation, but what about the Bible? Another question that comes is, uh, is this, and this is our, kind of our second principle under this heading uh, today of thinking of Christianity as a, as a kind of completely outside of the two boxes solution. Uh, oppression is used to explain uh, all of the poor outcomes of people groups who are oppressed, okay? White supremacy is blamed for um, blacks who don't perform up to expectation, let's say it that way. That, this, is a, this is a question that's come to me, okay? So I'm trying to lay the, the question out and then express my understanding of it. White supremacy is, as best I know, not codified into law in our country, as best I know. Okay. Those codes have been removed, I think, I hope. Uh, maybe there are some that are yet there. But there are other explanations for disparate outcomes. One of those is truly that there are differences in behavior and choices. Uh, so Romans, um, well, actually, like uh, Galatians chapter 6 is one of them, uh, says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so God generally blesses righteous conduct and is displeased with unrighteous conduct, right? Different conduct has different outcomes. This is a veritable axiom of nature, Okay. It cannot be really undone. If you're lazy and do not work, you will likely have less than a diligent person has. Proverbs? Okay. Generally, uh, if you do not study hard, then you will have lower grades than a hard-studying student. Obviously, all else being equal. There are some people who make you sick because they don't study and they get an A anyway. We're not counting those people, okay? Uh, but... Uh, you know, just a little, maybe less, what do you want to say, a less controversial example. If you read fewer books, you know, if you read less, you will read fewer books every year. And if you read fewer books every year, you probably know less than the person who reads lots of books every year, right? Consequences. You chose to do something else with your time. So you may have less exposure to information and knowledge. Um, so... Choices have to be taken into consideration. The difficulty with that is that somebody on, on the side of, say, well, let's say in the CRT, 
idea. Somebody who takes the side of the oppressed will say, yes, but what about choices that were constrained by other circumstances that were outside of that person's control? And if you say, well, that, that's, that's silly, that doesn't exist, I think you have to rethink that. I think you have to be careful about that. Let's suppose that you live in a place where the schools are terrible. And for 18 years, you come out, or 12 years, 13 years, and get out when you're 18, you come out with an education equivalent to what somebody in, say, a city like ours gets by eighth grade. I mean, I, that's theoretically possible, isn't it? Is, it? is it realistic in your mind? Yes. Maybe the quality of the schools in certain areas is not what it could be. For any reason, I can't explain the reasons. I don't know all the reasons. I mean, it's too complicated for me to analyze. I'm just saying, you know, at a high level, that could be the case. So, uh, well, I mean, why didn't you go to college? Just choose to go to college. Well, you know, the person says, I wasn't prepared to go to college. Or I wasn't taught that it was important to go to college. Or, you know, any number of things. Do you see the point? There could be structural things, indeed, that cause issues for people that, are, that, that, that make their choices somewhat constrained. Uh, and so it's not just as easy as say, well, choose differently. Well, maybe there are some choices that are not on the table for them. So you have to, again, watch out for these over-absolutizing over statements. Let me also caution this in the couple minutes we have remaining, a third principle here as we look at this. And, is this, an over-reliance on collective or solidarity principles. We have to avoid an over-reliance on collective or solidarity principles. So one of the things you might notice is that there are societies which are more collectivist in their mindset, group, clan, tribal kind of thinking, and then there are those who are individualistic in their thinking. You know where we stand in our Western culture, right? We're on this end of the spectrum, generally speaking, okay? Not absolutely, but generally. And there are, abs- there are structures or aspects of life that are that way, social structures, governance, shared resources, and so on and so forth. And sometimes conflict comes because we don't recognize those shared resources in a way that other people think we should recognize those shared resources. Pollution is one of the examples where that comes in. You, know, you, don't just, you can't just concern yourself about your own self your neighbor might be doing something stinky in his yard that floats over to your yard and makes you sick. Well, the shared resource of air, the collective resource of air, has an impact on uh, how we conduct ourselves. So it's not just radical uh, individualism that can reign in any kind of you know, structure governance where there are multiple people. But there are other aspects that are individualistic and cannot be otherwise. So turn to Romans 14 for a moment. Romans 14. Romans 14 and verse number 12. This is one of the three main passages that talks about the Bema seat or judgment seat of Christ. In Romans 14, 12, it says here, So then each of us shall give account of his class to God. No, it doesn't say that. It says each of us will give an account of himself to God. So we will not give an account for the authorities over us or those under us, per se, although there are some exceptions to that, but we're giving an account of our own selves. 
So in addition to the principle that you reap what you sow, in addition to the principle that justice is for the person who committed the crime, we have this principle that, that uh, we will be judged each ourselves and give an account of ourselves to God. Um, so hang on to that principle. We're not talking about class-based you know, justice in Christianity. Now, um, I did receive also a little criticism that I'm being vague, perhaps intentionally vague or um, uh, vague because I don't want to offend anybody. And it's true, I don't want to unnecessarily offend anybody. But I see you know, this idea that I've tried to show you this morning about making absolutized or categorical statements. It holds me back a little bit from, from being as clear as you might like. Now, when I give examples or illustrations, like I did this morning, I talked specifically about black and white, then you can understand that I'm being very specific. But um, principles like you reap what you sow applies to whites and blacks equally, right? You can't say there's an exception because you're a white or an exception to that principle because you're black. Uh, In fact... Uh, depending on how you look at statistics, uh, you know, you can look at percentages, but I don't think that's the whole story. You know, you can say X percent of blacks do this and Y percent of whites do this, but, you know, it's still the case that if you make poor choices, you can have bad outcomes because of those. Um, see what else do I want to do here. Oh, uh, yeah, this last, print, this last thought, kind of related to what we've already talked about, going back to our scriptural approach. Taking somebody who is opposed to you on your view of CRT and trying to convince them based on statistical evidence is one approach that you can use. But I'd rather take them to Scripture. I'd rather take us all to Scripture, like I'm going to do this morning from this other pulpit over here and preaching in Titus and really going through and in-depth in the text of Scripture because that's where God's power is to, to transform and to change. If you have to use secular or political realities to convince somebody of the truth of something, then I think you have a problem. The Word of God touches on everything in life. Our authority is here in God's Word, not in human logic or reason. So indeed, it should be possible to convince a Christian, a true Christian, based on biblical principles of whatever you know, your target is, if your target is, is accurate and biblical. So for example, let's say I want to convince a true Christian that salvation is by faith apart from works. Now, they should already understand that, but maybe they've gotten kind of mixed up with some, some cult or... Uh, what about James says I have to do works in order to be justified and all that? Well, you can take them to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10 and review that with them and teach them that, and the Spirit of God that's in them is going to resonate with the truth of God's Word, right? Um, But if you say, I'm going to convince my friend that there is, and and the reason you can convince them is because Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 is true. But if you say, I'm going to convince my friend there's no racism in, in, this, in the Department of Justice or in the justice system, 
There's no racism in policing. You're going to have a much harder time because, I, first of all, I, those things aren't really true. You might be able to convince somebody that all whites are not racist. You can give some counterexamples to the, the, the assertion that all whites are racist. You know, but you, you get on this kind of slippery ground when you start doing this kind of stuff on, on, on the basis of political, logical, statistical uh, realities, and somebody's always, always going to be able to find a counterexample and all that sort of stuff. We've got to take people to, to Scripture. Um, so, I think I've said probably enough. Probably said too much now, but anyway, you can throw the tomatoes afterwards, okay? Not when we're on camera, all right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, hopefully, those thoughts are helpful to you. Uh, they certainly have. Uh, uh, been a, a subject of uh, much time and thought in my study and uh, probably need more, but uh, we'll see what happens if there's a part four. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to think together about some of these matters, some of these principles of, of justice and of individual um, retribution and reward for sin. And the uh, fact, Lord, is we will stand before the judgment of God someday, either as Christians or not, and uh, we'll give an account for our lives, Christians or not. And, Lord, for those who perish without Christ, it's a thought that causes us to shudder. Lord, I pray that in all of this, we will not get sidetracked in spending all um, effort trying to convert people to our political view and rather spend all effort to bring people to saving knowledge of Christ and let these other things work themselves out. Oh, Lord, I don't know if I've been as clear as I hope this morning. I, I hope so. I pray that these things, these thoughts have been helpful uh, in this area, which we said if we keep focusing on it, it will just bring less and less profit. I pray that we haven't got to that point yet. Help us, Lord, we pray. Help us in the next hour as well to have a good time in the Word. In Jesus' name, amen.